family doctors, surgical wait times, modernization of medical records. I mean, all of these topics came up in the discussion about the health care deal between the provinces and the federal government this week. But you know what we didn't hear about? Long-term care. And yet during the pandemic, that was all we talked about, how to fix it, how we had to improve it. So let's talk more about this missing part of the discussion. Isabel McKenzie is with us, BC's Seniors Advocate. Good morning. Good morning. Are, are you disappointed to hear that like, there wasn't really talk about long-term care this week, was there? No, and I think the bigger discussion actually is also about home care. So if we think about what seniors need to support them as they, they age, most seniors actually won't go to long-term care. It's only about... Uh, 5% of seniors and only about 15% of people age 85 and older that actually go to long-term care. Uh, most seniors will have health care needs, but they can be supported in the community through home care and other supports. And that was also, I think, a significant missing piece of the conversation. One of the things we did talk about last week, and I was in Ottawa with my counterparts from New Brunswick and Newfoundland, Labrador, um, were the new long-term care standards, national standards, which uh, are good standards, but at the moment have not been made uh, compulsory in every publicly funded care home in Canada. They have not been made mandatory. So uh, also interested in that discussion with the federal government. But certainly looking at the health care costs, you know, Simi, one of the, the things that is missing, I think, from the discussion when we talk about universal health care is that for seniors, a lot of the health care costs are actually being paid for by the seniors. We charge for home support in this province. We charge uh, for assisted living. We charge for long-term care. And where is the relief coming from uh, for the individual senior? That, that, that is unclear. Have things improved in the last few years? Like, have we seen changes, Isabel, as a result of all the discussion during the pandemic? Well, in British Columbia, we do do some things well, arguably very well, and then other things not so well. Um, in long-term care, uh, when you compare us to other provinces, uh, one of the first things that jumps out is we have more individual rooms than most other provinces. 80% of our care homes are private rooms, and most of those have their own bathroom or, or some are shared just with the other unit. Um, when we talk about staffing levels, and we've talked about that a lot, uh, they're not adequate. I think most of us would agree. But British Columbia is actually further ahead than most other provinces. Uh, many provinces are talking about four hours or 4.1 hours of care, but they're not there yet. Um, and they're a little bit behind where we are. So we do that piece uh, well. In terms of our workforce, uh, BC has a care aid registry. Uh, unlike other provinces. So the care aides that are working in our care homes and in our public home support program, we have some assurances about their training and, and there's a way to track uh, care aides if they're abusing or neglecting uh, patients or residents or clients. So that's all good. But there's lots of things where we are significantly behind other provinces. The care aid registry alone, though, that seems like a really good thing to have. I'm glad BC has it. But Shouldn't the federal government be saying, okay, maybe everybody needs to do this? Absolutely, Simi. One of the things that is quite striking is how different seniors' care is 
in the different provinces. And that becomes apparent when you go to the federal government and you start talking to them about things and you talk to people from other provinces. The Canada Health Act guarantees a certain degree of uh, uniformity across the country. We don't have that in seniors' care. Everybody's process for determining what you pay for, for a nursing home bed, for home care, for home support, for whatever, for medications, is different in every province. And the body age is the same, whether you're in Castlegar, British Columbia, or Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, um, the way your body is aging and the things it needs to support you as you age are actually the same. Now, you had mentioned there that there are some other things, though, that BC could be doing, like what? Where we are coming up significantly short, and and certainly compared to other provinces, is in this area of home care and particularly home support. And we're, my office is working on a report that will be coming out, I think, in about two or three weeks' time on this very topic. And um, we um, home support is something we charge people for in British Columbia. Uh, most provinces don't charge. Uh, those that do charge significantly less. So we are uh, the, you know, you've heard me probably talk a bit before that if you are earning $29,000 a year as a senior, that's well below a minimum wage, Mm -hmm. by the way, um, and you need just one hour of home support a day, in British Columbia, we will charge you $9,000 a year for that. Wow. And so what we find, not surprisingly, is that BC, compared to Alberta and Ontario, where they don't charge you for that home support, we have more than double the number of people in long-term care in BC compared to Alberta and Ontario with low care needs. In other words, these are people that probably could be at home with proper supports. Why aren't they at home in, in BC with proper supports? They can't afford it. We charge them too much. In Alberta and Ontario, they don't charge them for it. And so they receive those supports at home and they don't go to long-term care. It's better for them. And it's certainly better for the taxpayer because it costs a lot of money. We're, we're subsidizing people in long-term care. The public subsidy is uh, an average of about $4,800 a month. And then the, the person living there pays another about $2,000 a month. But that is the amount we're paying to support people in long-term care rather than give them one hour a day free home support. Isabel, the thing is, anybody listening to that would think, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, people want to stay in their homes. Why aren't we making it easier for people to do that? Uh, the short answer is, uh, I'm not exactly sure why, uh, Simi. It, it is frustrating uh, to me. It's been a frustration for quite some time. I'm going to, um, uh, again, sort of get, get the discussion going with a, uh, another report on home support. Uh, you know, to be fair to everybody, uh, our, we were distracted, for want of a better term, with all of the issues uh, surrounding the pandemic. So, you know, give everybody a little bit of a, a fair, okay, we didn't, we, we had other issues we had to attend to. Uh, but we need to focus on the future now. The seniors population is growing, number one. Um, more people uh, want to and are uh, staying at home, and we need those supports. If we were able to provide better community support, the one way to look at it is right now there's 12% of our long-term care beds occupied by somebody who arguably doesn't need to be in long-term care. They need some help. They don't need long-term care. The practical effect of that would be 3,000 beds every year. 
freed up because we're providing the supports in the community. And we just need to find a, a and and stop stop charging people um, for their home supports because uh, families with modest incomes find it more affordable for their mom or dad or spouse to go to long-term care than to stay at home and receive our publicly uh, funded home supports given what we charge people for them. Well, it certainly makes sense when you explain it to us. Isabel, thank you for your time this morning. My pleasure. Thank you for your interest, Simi. I appreciate it.